Hello and welcome back to the Bear Facts, the LA Times podcast for all things UCLA sports. I'm Jesse Doherty, here with UCLA beat writer Ben Bolch. Ben, how you doing? Good. Everything's good with you? Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> no, normal week? Yeah, glad to be back, uh, getting back to the Rose Bowl for a couple of weeks here. No, no more... Uh Long flights and, and travel delays, so always a good thing. That is, that is a good thing. And, and Rose Ball, also a great place to always watch a game. So you can't, yeah. can't complain that. I'm still looking for a, a more beautiful venue in college football. I've, uh, I feel like I've seen pretty much all the major conferences, not every stadium, but I think I've had a good portion of, uh, of, the, uh, of, of the major football stadiums and still have not seen anything that can compare to the Rose Bowl at Sunset. But how was BYU? Was it? I mean, there, there are some mountains there. Yeah, so. I mean, there are mountains, and it was pretty, but I, I still think that uh, the Rose Bowl uh, setting and the kind of the majesty of that uh, trumps uh, Lavelle Edwards. But, but not a, certainly not a bad place to watch a game. So UCLA back in the Rose Bowl this week, but welcome Stanford. So they, it's not a great week for them, potentially. But before we look ahead to that game, obviously a lot to talk about there. Look back at that game at BYU. UCLA squeaks out a win. Might have been deceivingly close, kind of with a late touchdown. But were you, were you encouraged by anything by, by UCLA in that game? Yeah, I mean, they had to show that they could stop the run, to, uh, or stop the run to, to have any kind of success this season. And, and that was really a big kind of statement moment for them. They held uh, the Cougars to 23 yards rushing. And they're, they're a good rushing team, so that wasn't like they, they, you know, shutting down UNLV or something. This was, this was a legitimate... Uh, performance by UNL or by UCLA to show that they could do that. Um, it was it was the uh, least amount of yards they would held a team till since they had held Arizona State to 21 yards, I believe, in like 2008. Mm-hmm. So uh, a huge statement. They got a bunch of guys back. Uh, we saw what a difference Tack McKinley uh, makes uh, with this defense and, and the pressure and the blitzes. And they were a lot more aggressive uh, scheme wise, and guys were flying around. So. Exactly what they needed to show, uh, particularly going into a game like this week against Stanford. But then Taysom, Taysom Hill, BYU's quarterback, he's, he's a dual threat, but he's not a great thrower. So is, does some of that get taken with a grain of salt, considering they could kind of stack the box? He doesn't really have a good deep ball. I mean, so do you think some of that is tempered with, with, with the way the run deep played? Um, you know, maybe a little bit, but I, I think that, you know, just they, they needed to show that they could – do that. I mean, it wasn't just him. They 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 shut down Jamal Williams as well. Um, and really, you know, BYU scored two touchdowns late in that game. One of them was greatly aided by three pretty big penalties on UCLA's defense. Mm-hmm. And then the last touchdown was basically on their prevent D, uh, just trying to make them chew up some clock. So, you know, in a, in a sense, those last two touchdowns, although obviously they count, had kind of asterisks by them. So I, I thought it was a it was a, a really good performance all the way around. Uh, and I wouldn't really take much away from UCLA. Okay, so run D was good, run offense not not so good, and that that's yeah. something to be concerned about. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they're, they're going to need to run the ball t- to beat Stanford, and uh, you know, we've kind of seen this this carousel of, of guys being in and out of the of the running lineup uh, again. Last week, So uh, So Jamago was uh, was out uh, with kind of a mysterious absence. Uh, uh, Jim Moore said that he wouldn't really address it specifically. Just said, you know, he wasn't he wasn't here uh, or wasn't available, and you know that that's kind of code been code with him for a suspension, some kind of team discipline. Um, the question is, is, was this something that happened in the preseason? And he's like staggering these suspensions because you know we had seen Nate Starks was out the first two games, uh, and then now run another running back, and you have to wonder. Was this a, kind of a staggered situation so that he wouldn't have two of his top tailbacks out at once? We don't know the answer, but 
Um, it does kind of beg the question. And they also had uh, Randall Goforth was out, uh, and as well as I knew Tao, the fullback. So uh, some guys missing. Uh, Jim Moore said that you know it sounded like all those guys could be back um, this this week. So uh, it could be a full complement of, of Bruins. And we already saw getting some key guys back on defense. What the difference that makes? So you know as they continue to get everybody back and healthy and unsuspended, yeah. uh, it bodes well going forward. Well, it's interesting because you wrote about this during preseason, and it, it, this is a team that doesn't really have a feature back. But the way they compensated for that, at least what they said was, well, we're going to have a lot of depth. But now we haven't seen the depth altogether. So it's it sounds like it might come together this week, but the way UCLA has kind of compensated for not having that one guy, and, you know, the saying goes, if you don't have one, if you have two running backs, you might have none or whatever it is. Kind of, that's more of a quarterback saying. But it could be interesting to finally see them all together. Um, especially Starks, you know, Bolu, So-So, I and mean, we haven't seen that. Yeah, and, and I guess the one downside would be, you know, our guy's going to get antsy about not getting enough carries, but I think that's that's a, that's a worry for, for later on in the season. But, um, you know, certainly having these guys, uh, all, all five of them, all five of the guys with Bolu, So-So, Nate Starks, um, Brandon Stevens, and Jalen Starks, no relation, uh, they've all had their moments where, where they've looked, you know, pretty good, uh, and, and you know, but but like you said, they really haven't had that guy kind of stand out. And and one thing that's interesting is uh, offensive coordinator Kenny Palmalo basically admitted he wants to see some guy step up and be yeah. the guy. You know, I think Jim Mora is being a little bit more diplomatic about it and says they're all going to, you know, have their role. Um, but it would be nice to see somebody break out with you know a hundred to one hundred and fifty yard game, and we haven't seen that yet. Um, and, and it certainly would be good for UCLA to kind of identify that guy. And it looked like Soso had the traction to do that. You know, three first half touchdowns against UNLV didn't really like go for a huge yardage game, but it looked like he was you know c- coming around. Yeah, I mean he's 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 shown the most flash so so far. I think he has 181 yards and three touchdowns uh, in the two games. And you know, numbers wise, he looks good. They all kind of have their different strengths. Uh, you know, Bolu's kind of a uh, hard to bring down guy who, who's kind of crafty the way he can get through the line and, and Nate Starks kind of blends I think their two styles a little bit so um, but you know they, they really need to, to do something this week particularly uh, to buy Josh Rosen uh, more time to pass the ball because if they show that they can't run the ball that's going to be a huge problem against a team like Stanford. So, so Josh Rosen was extremely critical again of himself after that BYU game how, how do you? Because he's always going to be critical. Yeah. It seems like so. I thought he was pretty good in that like third quarter, like early fourth mm-hmm. quarter when they kind of started to pull away. They, yeah, they, they ate a lot of clock. I mean, I thought he got he became really sharp at that point of the yeah, game. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you know the, the the takeaway that he has is for the second time in in, in three games they kind of left a lot of points on the field. And, and the issue that seemed to come up a lot against BYU was he was really kind of missing uh, secondary reads and really kind of going more for, for kind of home run passes as opposed to taking safer, uh, easier underneath routes. And, and there were guys that were wide open that he wasn't even looking in their direction. So mm-hmm. um, talking to him this week, he also was saying that, you know, he was he was a little – I think he described it as being a little too jittery, uh, especially early in the game when, you know, he said that his, he, he was kind of on the move with his lower body and it, and it kind of impacted his upper body and some of his decision-making. Um, so that's something he's working on. We got to remember, you know, he's still early in his sophomore year. Uh, people are saying that he should. Sounds like the expectation is, at least from like the message boards and people I've talked to, is that a lot of people want to finish product at this point, which mm-hmm. I think is a little bit unfair and unrealistic. But you know, the, the fact that he's IDing all this stuff and is and is self-critical, I think, is a good sign um, that we will see improvement and these things will be addressed. 
So now looking ahead to Stanford, huge game for UCLA. I mean, biggest game of the year. Would you would you say? Yeah, I mean, it, certainly if they if they lose the game, the season's not over. But I think if they lose the game, um, they you know they almost need to to I won't say win out, but but pretty close to have any shot of not only just getting back to that to the Pac-12 championship game, but you know getting past the the hump of of being in the mid-tier bowl and. You know, spending another week in uh, at the Alamo Bowl or, or uh, Foster Farms Bowl, and uh, you know, not being too thrilled with that. So um, this week really is kind of a tone setter to, to see uh, where they stack up and all these off-season changes they've talked about. You know, modifying the offense, getting more physical. It's kind of an early referendum on on that progress they've made so far. And I don't know that you could call it a failure if they lose, but it certainly is going to be an early test to see what kind of progress they've made. You not you don't want to cover the Monarchy Car Care Bowl or no one of those? Uh, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> okay, so that, so this game could be the difference there. It's the first of three really big Pac-12 home games, and probably their three biggest Pac-12 home games. This Utah and SC are all at home, but this is you know our. I don't think it's even a question. The toughest one. So obviously the big thing with Stanford is Christian McCaffrey. Uh, USC has had their well-documented trouble with him. Everyone has pretty much had trouble with him. You talked to some guys, I think it was Tuesday, about this. What's what's the approach? I mean, I'm sure the approach really is just stop him. But is there anything they're doing, anything they can do differently that other teams maybe haven't tapped into? Yeah, well, it just shows one of the interesting things was that yesterday they used uh, – Darren Andrews kind of gave us the lowdown on this. They basically used like six different guys on the scout team to mimic – uh, what he does, you know, some some were in there to, to show how they could catch the ball. Some were running the ball. Some were lined up wide. Um, so just it just shows kind of uh, the variety of ways he can impact the game and the way that you need to try to figure out a way to stop him. It's it's like it's probably that you know the biggest conundrum in college football is is finding a way to shut him down. Um, and my my thing for this week is. I, I think that you know they need to try to find him to find a way to limit him to somewhere around I would say 150 all-purpose yards. Mm. I think would be a good number because I think he's averaging somewhere like 235, and you know he's going to get yards. It's just a matter of you can't let him pile it up and beat you in multiple ways. Um, so you know they really need to, to, to focus in on 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 that and, and and limiting him. I was over at SC on Tuesday and I was talking to some of the players, defensive players, about McCaffrey, and they were saying that the thing about Stanford is that they'll lull you to sleep. You know, they'll go power, power, yeah. power, and then all of a sudden McCaffrey's streaking down the sideline into the end zone. From what you've seen, is this UCLA defense susceptible to the big play? Because they haven't faced really any, like, gr- great offenses. I mean, Texas yeah. A&M was pretty good, but can you even gauge if, if they're susceptible to that? Yeah, I think it, that's a good point that they haven't faced anything like this um, so far this season. So it's kind of an unknown at this point. Uh, but certainly, you know, what we saw last week uh, was encouraging and in, in, in a step in the right direction. But certainly, you know, uh, Stanford presents a, an entirely different challenge. And like you said, they'll settle into a rhythm where you think that you know what's coming next. The next thing you know, he's slipping outside and catching a ball and running 50 yards. So, uh, you know, there was a one play last week where SC left him uncovered and, and got bitten. Um, so, so UCLA has to be, like, fundamentally sound uh, to win this game for sure. You also talked to Josh Rosen um, this, about Stanford because that was a school that when he was in high school or he was younger was aspired to go to. So what, what, what did you find this week about whether Stanford offered him, whether Josh ever had a chance to really go there? What, what's kind of the lowdown on that situation? Yeah, I mean, the backstory there is, you know, he, he had a variety of schools that he dreamed about growing up when he was really young. It was the Ivy League, a couple of Ivy League schools because his parents went to Ivies. Um, then, then, you know, he watched Matt, Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush at SC and became infatuated with that. 
And then he, he found a school that kind of blended both of those things with the great football and the powerhouse academics, and it was Stanford. Um, and that was kind of what he had his heart set on. He went up to a camp up there uh, when he was at St. John Bosco and really wowed them. Uh, in fact, the offensive coordinator told his coach at St. John Bosco that, you know, he'd never seen a quarterback kind of perform the way he did. But the, uh, the, for, for whatever reason, the, the Cardinal did not offer him a scholarship. And, and we asked, or I asked David Shaw about that this week, and he said it was just a, a matter of, of roster numbers, that they had their guys lined up. They were comfortable with their depth there, and so they just didn't They didn't offer not only Josh, they didn't offer anybody, um, which I find a little bit curious because when you can snag somebody yeah. of his uh, ability, you know, you would think that you would get him and put him in there. But the interesting thing is that, you know, Josh didn't seem as heartbroken about it now as, as you might think or, or resentful. And he said that the reason for that is that he, there was some hesitancy on his part uh, when he went up there. He said he went up there twice and – Kind of the culture and the atmosphere wasn't what he thought it might be or was expecting. Um, and he really considers himself more of an L.A. guy. Uh, so he's really happy that he's actually here and thinks that everything worked out for the best. I mean, you, you'll never know how much of that is spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, you know, I think things do seem to be, you know, working out well for him here. And certainly he has a chance to really, you know, show that he is the guy and that they made a mistake this week we asked him if he had any extra incentive, and he gave a pretty politically correct answer about you know, wanting to beat every team uh, <laughs> and that if you lose 120 guys and a fan base have bragging rights on you. But uh, you didn't read that in my story because I thought that was kind of a hokey uh, thing. But, um, yeah, so, you know, if, if there is any grudge or resentment, he's, he's holding it very close to vests and, and keeping it under wraps, and then that's probably smart. But So if you're Josh Rosen, you're going to be seen wherever you are. So, right, so like any, any Power 5 school. He could have went to UCLA, USC, Stanford, wherever. But if you're David Shaw, I mean, you don't want to like knock your quarterbacks you have, but aren't you kind of like, damn. I mean, you didn't offer a quarterback. You said, like, why not? Josh Rosen wasn't a secret when he right. was at St. John Bosco. I mean, yeah. you put Josh Rosen and McCaffrey on the same field, you're probably a national champion contender right away. I mean, right now they're yeah. kind of on the outside looking in. So don't you think he should be regret that a little bit? He can't say yeah. that. He can't say yeah. that. But. Well, it is interesting, though, that one point Josh Rosen uh, made that I did write about is that they they kind of want their quarterbacks to be what he called game managers mm-hmm. and that they don't really give them, uh, you know, traditional uh, you're going to throw the ball 50 times. Now, obviously they've had, you know, pretty nice quarterbacks in recent years with Andrew Luck and, uh, and, and Kyle Hogan. Uh, but, you know, he said that they really kind of developed into those roles through the, the progression of, of being there and, and learning and growing, whereas he wanted to just kind of be the guy right when he started college. So I think there is something to be said for the difference uh, in style. Power, uh, Stanford's known for its power running game, and, and, and whatever the quarterback does kind of uh, supplements that more than the other way around, whereas here at UCLA – what Josh Rosen can do with this offense takes precedence. And, and I also think there was a quote in there. I don't know the, the full quote from Josh, but he said, whether you're in college for three or four years, which, I mean, is obviously a, a little <laughs> foreshadowing. And yeah. maybe you go to Stanford and you have to stay for four years, like you said, because yeah. you're developing the – you might even redshirt. I mean, you might right. – you don't know. But here he's kind of put himself on the track to be a three-year guy. Oh, yeah, you know, no question. I mean, yeah. No so so he, that was a small little hint, I guess, that maybe yeah. the difference between UCLA and Stanford is that three-year and four-year thresh, threshold as well. Yeah. Um, so – we also have a Twitter flap this week, I think is what you've kind of coined it. Um, I don't know the word flap as well for this. Is that a, is that a fight or is that a little bar? A little, uh, a little uh, uh, social media scuffle that okay. happened here. Yeah. Um, so basically, 
uh, it all started actually shortly after the game against uh, the victory, I should say, uh, over BYU. Uh, Mike Juarez, who uh, has been out uh, basically since the fourth day of training camp, tweeted uh, something to the effect of, like, way to go, uh, Bruins, or a good victory. And uh, Takaris McKinley retweeted it. Uh, on top added, uh, who is this guy with like a little emoji of a raised eyebrow and a guy kind of holding his hand like over his... Like a Monopoly his, man or something? Over, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to exactly write it, but uh, basically an inquisitive look is how I, I think I described it. Um, and then it escalated on Monday uh, when Takaris tweeted, um, basically, I don't care if you are five stars, if you're not out here uh, busting your rear with with your teammates and, and going to meetings every day, how are you going to be a brother? Um, so he, he kind of took it to the next level because people were wondering, you know, with the first tweet, was he being funny? Was he really mad? And then it was obvious with that one that, that you know, Mike's absence was a sore spot. And then Mike uh, responded basically saying, uh, you know, was that, was that supposed to hurt my feelings? You know, stop being, he, he, he quote, a female uh, and, and mind your own business. Um, and at that point, it was a full-scale uh, Twitter meltdown, pretty much. Um, Jim Mora didn't really address it, said that he, he didn't think it was a distraction, which I think, obviously, it has to be on some level just because we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, and people, I'm sure, are bringing it up to them. And Takar eventually deleted that some of those tweets. So... Uh, kind of an ugly situation, but there was some clarity that came uh, the next day because uh, I talked to Mike about his situation, and he said that he hopes to be back at practice next week. And uh, you know, some of the stuff that was going on was that he was he felt the pressure of being a five-star linebacker out of high school. Some considered the best linebacker in the country coming out of North Torrance High. He said that got to be you know really weighing on him out here. And there was another. Uh, personal matter that he wouldn't discuss. Don't know exactly what it was, but he said it was the combination of those two things that just got to a breaking point, and he had to step away. Uh, and since then, he said Jim Morris helped him uh, get a psychiatrist, help him talk through a bunch of stuff. So it sounds like he's in a better spot. He wants to come back, and he, you know, he hopes to return to practice uh, as soon as next week. Uh, now we don't know if that'll happen and if he'll even play this year, but. Sounds like he's headed in a good direction, so that, that's that's definitely a good sign. I'll give you I'll give you the plug there. You can read the full Ben's full story on Mike at LATimes.com. It's a story no one else had, so it's 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 pretty cool. But uh, oh, maybe somebody else did have it. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, so okay, <laughs> well, Ben saying somebody else did. I only read Ben's, but uh, Ben's is well, obviously full well, with insight. Well, you know what the saying is that it does it doesn't happen unless it appears in the LA Times. So I, <laughs> okay. I guess we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, uh, my fault there. Uh, but I want to ask you two quick ones. I don't want to date you, but you've been f- covering sports for a while. Yeah. So guys had to go to reporters before to like to like essentially call each other out. But now social media kind of. Yeah. Is, I mean, is that tr- is that true? How else would they have? How else would anyone know about it? There, right. there was team turmoil. It almost seems like right. another yeah. thing for teams to have to deal with. It's kind yeah. of it kind of just adds yeah, distraction. And, yeah, totally. And and you know, Jim Moore talked about it at, at length uh, during Pac-12 media days because it had been an issue because of some of the things that Josh Rosen had tweeted. And he basically said, you know, his policy was don't embarrass yourself, don't embarrass the university, and that they they were basically they wanted the kids to have freedom of expression, but do it in a responsible and meaningful way that didn't reflect poorly uh, on anyone. And obviously uh, these tweets kind of cross that line. But um, I think with this being Stanford week, 
Uh, Jim didn't really didn't want to dip his toes into the, those waters because I think he felt that the more he talks about it and gives it credence, the bigger deal it becomes. Um, so I can kind of understand that, but certainly not a good way to start Stanford week uh, when, when you've lost eight games in a row to a team that's considered the class of the conference, and you need to show that you can match and exceed what they bring on every level. And Stanford, one part of Stanford's success is its discipline in areas like this and not doing you know stupid stuff. So. Uh, really, a, really, kind of a, a bad start for UCLA this week. And then my second question is: You've uh, you've been covered a lot of teams, a lot of sports. Did you ever think you'd be on a podcast trying to describe an emoji <laughs> when, when no, talking about two I, players? Yeah, I, I can only imagine what's coming next. Uh, you know, some of the stuff that's going on now, I couldn't even conceive of it five years ago. So. Uh, definitely a different world, but it, it's interesting. You'll be like filing your expense report for teleporting next or something. <laughs> like, I, don't know, I don't know what it could be. but Okay, so heading into the Stanford game, what's, uh, what are some of the injury updates, some of the personnel yeah. updates that people need to Yeah, know? so um, Takaris McKinley, uh, it's funny. Like He seems to – well, I shouldn't say it's funny, but he, he seems to kind of re-injure himself multiple times in every game, and then he comes back in, and then he's out again. Uh, we saw that again last week. Uh, where it looked like he limped off the field. I think it was before halftime and then came back and then uh, got injured again late in the game. Uh, but it, it sounds like this groin thing that he's been dealing with since training camp is going to be an ongoing thing uh, that they're managing. And Jim Moore said that, um, you know, it is going to be something where he may not practice all that much just because they need to keep him healthy and available because he is kind of the tone setter and difference maker for this defense. So they look completely different when he's out there versus when he's not out there. But the latest news is that he you know, looks pretty good to go for Saturday. He was out there in a red non-contact jersey uh, Wednesday, which was the last day that reporters were allowed to be at part of practice. So that was good. The other one is uh, defensive lineman uh, Boss Tagaloa, was, who seemed like he was on track for a miraculous recovery last week. He went from being in a walking boot to them saying that he would be good to go the next day. He actually didn't play, but he's been back at practice, and, and, and the word is that he's probably going to be able – to go and, and, and that defensive line depth has been big. I think they rotated in like in and out like nine guys in that last game. Uh, showed some different looks, kept guys fresh, uh, really applied the pressure. So you know if they can keep that up and, and do it again against Stanford, that could be a difference maker. So okay, so there's a difference maker. You, are, you kind of beat me to the punch, but I'm going to give you a sentence to finish. UCLA wins if. Uh, or well, maybe you think yeah. they might, maybe you think they can't, but is no, there any no, situation? I, yeah, but. you know, I keep vacillating on whether they can win this game, and you know, I go back to you know everybody. I think is picking Stanford and with good reason, but there are points when you know you have to. There's no evidence to say that somebody should win, and they end up winning. And I think this could be one of those games. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and, and a couple of reasons for that. Uh, you know, Stanford, they're good, but they haven't they haven't blown anybody out. They only played two games, but you know, they've only scored in the twenties. They've given up some points. They haven't looked like, you know, world beaters. They're obviously always big and physical on the line. But from what I've been able to tell, they aren't like the super imposing team that they've been in the past. So I think that if if UCLA can uh, play kind of a more disciplined style, particularly with Josh Rosen, who, you know, he only – I looked at this the other day and I was surprised. He's got four TDs and four interceptions this Mm -hmm. year. That's not great. Um, He's got to, like, really get get those numbers fixed. So I think if if Josh can keep those, you know, make smart decisions, not throw interceptions, kind of manage the game better – uh, you know, get get some success with the running game, which we talked about, where they've kind of struggled. And we talked, I talked about that 150 all-purpose yard 
uh, figure for McCaffrey. I feel like if they can keep him to that or lower, that could be a recipe for winning. And I think they have to win the battle of momentum plays. I think that, you know, Stanford's, like we said, they lull your sleep and then they come up with these big plays. And I think UCLA needs to, to kind of watch that and, and prevent that. And they need some big plays of their own. I think a guy who could be a factor this week uh, who, who really hasn't in the first three games, we thought we'd be talking a lot more about him, is Ishmael Adams. Uh, particularly in the run, in the, I'm sorry, in the return game, you know, he returns kickoffs and punts and really hasn't sprung any kind of a, a lengthy return. And I think we talked to Jim Moore about that this week, and he said it's really been more on the blockers than on Ish. Uh, he thinks that Ish has been in good position. And then they would have gone back and looked at the film. It's been like one block here, one block there, where if they had been able to steal a guy off, he would have, he would have had a big return. So um, that's something that, you know, that they, they put a lot of emphasis in. And, and I don't think, you know, you can go half a season without this guy making some kind of huge play. So I think that it could be a, a big weekend for Ishmael Adams. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this on Tuesday, just just me and you, but Stanford's going to score maybe not 40 points, but they're right. going to get their 20, right. 21 to 28, whether it's McCaffrey or a byproduct of McCaffrey getting mm-hmm. all this attention. So I think UCLA, like you said, just just keep pace. And you know, yeah, with, with Rosen and healthy yeah. backs, you think they should be able to right. to some extent. And, and, and I mean, if, if one of these teams is going to be in a good position to come back, it's going to be UCLA. I mean, I, I don't think they can't get behind by more than I would say ten points and, and expect to win this game. But if they're in the fourth quarter with Josh Rosen, you know, down ten points, that's not an insurmountable deficit. Mm-hmm. And he certainly, uh, as we saw against Texas A and M, which has a, a pretty darn good defense, he can bring you back in, in a pretty pretty hurry. Um, so I think he could be the difference maker. And, and shoot, if they start out this game well and, and, and play smart, sound football, they, they can win this game. I really think that. Well, there you go. That's a good parting message, <laughs> at least for people who are yeah who are listening to this for some yeah, positivity. And, and I got well, yeah. I should I should like throw myself under the bus here again. I think I picked UCLA to win every uh, week so far this this year. I, I'm getting like all homerish here. This is somebody needs to uh, to stop this. But you know what? I, why not? I mean, they they. they I think they took a huge step last week when they needed to on defense. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the message. Obviously, BYU and, is at one level and Stanford's at another. But if you're going to make progress, you have to show that you can do it. And they showed they can do it. And now they just have to take it to that next level. And they've lost eight games in a row. They want to they break the streak. I know Jim Moore, I tried to engage him on the eight games in a row. And he was making the point, well, I wasn't here for that. You know, uh, you know I think they, they've beaten him. I think it is four times. Uh, or five times, including the uh, the Pac-12 championship game where they met. But you can just tell everybody's uh, kind of on edge a little bit more this week and pumped up for this. I think the scout team uh, yesterday was already out there running plays. I got here at 6.30 yesterday. 6.30 yesterday morning, the scout team was already out there hmm. running plays that they were going to run against uh, the first-teamers. So you know that they're locked in, and, and, and this week they've really shown that they – uh, they want to do this, and, and, and it's, they feel like it's time uh, to beat Stanford. So the time is 5 p.m. on Saturday at the Rose Bowl. Ben and I will both be there. Bill Plaschke will be there with us. So for continued coverage of UCLA football, you can follow Ben on Twitter at L-A-T-B-Bolch. That's correct. That's correct. It's a mouthful. <laughs> a little bit. but And then for any other questions you have, you can also email him at ben.bolch at latimes.com. Any parting words? You, you kind of gave your, uh, your your parting message there. So yeah, I mean it's going to be fun. I think uh, I think it, it will be a fun. Uh, I'm predicting a close. I mean I said I think UCLA can win this game. I think it will be close. There's no. I don't think there's any way it's a blowout. I know Stanford's kind of 
routed them a couple times recently, but I think I think we're in for a, an exciting, uh, close game on Saturday. So there it is. That's that's Ben Bolt's prediction of a fun, close game. That's it for the Bear Facts, the best named LA Times sports podcast. We'll talk to you next week.